0: I want you to do me a favor this morning. It's a very simple flavor. I know you can handle it. Like, sometimes I ask difficult favors. I know that. But this one is very, very simple. I want you to finish this statement or this sentence for me, okay? It's very simple. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. I think I heard that murmured a little bit. It wasn't as participatory as maybe I would have liked in that moment. That's Okay. But sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me, right? How many of you have heard that statement, maybe when you were little, or maybe you said that to somebody little at some point? You know, we've, we've internalized that at some of us at the stage of life that we're in. And the hard part of that is that it's just not true, because many of us could probably talk about more the words that hurt us than maybe the physical injuries we've had in life. We could probably talk a lot more about maybe the names we were called as a child than the time we broke our leg, per se. Or maybe some of us never broke our leg, and so our only real pain has been words. Because words can hurt a lot. I think most of us know that. In fact, there's a lot of studies that have gone on around the power of words and what it what we need in our life when it comes to words in order for them to be healthy for us. And basically, there's a ratio that John Gottman, who is a relationship psychologist, said that it was five to one. You need five positive, affirming words or comments to one negative word or comment in your life to balance out, to balance out. So that means for every one time... Someone was snarky with you, sarcastic. Your teacher said something. You failed, and they made it in front of everybody. You needed five positive experiences just to level out and be averagely okay. That's not to feel good. That's just to be not feeling bad. So we need, this is their study, five positive words for every one negative word. We could probably relate to that in our lives. In fact, we could probably relate to it in the sense that we, right now, if I were to ask you, and I'm sure you'd be much more participatory than before, if I were to ask you, what is the worst thing someone ever said to you, you would be very quick to tell me. But if I was to ask you, what is the best thing somebody ever said to you, a lot of us would struggle. It's just not the way our brain works for some reason. We cling to that negativity we cling to those negative words or negative statements or the comments that we're told, and they start to define us. Jacob told a bit of his story of how his lack of wins started to define him until he could find victory in Jesus. And that's many of our story. Words are incredibly powerful. Words can harm and words can heal. It's probably why, as we've been in the study of James, James said in James 1.19 that we are to be slow, quick to listen and slow to speak. That we're meant to be individuals who take our time to hear and are thoughtful and ponder and wait to speak. Because we need to be able to speak words that bring life instead of destruction. When James tells us that, he tells us because it's really practical advice for living. In fact, it was practical advice for living for that first century world that James was writing into. James was writing into a context, a church context, that had this mix of Jewish and Gentile Christians trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus, and it seems like, if you read through this letter, they were making a lot of mistakes. And one of the areas they were making mistakes is how they spoke to one another. And especially how individuals who, maybe like me or even like you, would get up in front of people and speak in front of them and the words they would use. And James writes this whole section around the power that we have with words and provides great wisdom and insight into what it means in our lives today as it did for them in that first century world. And so we're going to jump in into James chapter 3. Where James is writing in the, throughout this letter, we've explored some of the different issues he's addressing. We've explored how he's talked about favoritism. We've explored how he's talked about we're you know, brought into God's family and need to be understanding of that and what that means and how we can identify ourselves. And we talked about how our faith needs to be backed up by our actions. You can't just say, I believe something, and then your life looks no different. Well, this is really an extension of that. Because here he's going to say, well, you can't just say you believe something and then speak whatever you want. There needs to be reflection in the words we use. James chapter 3 verse 1 starts like this. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who's never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Now, I said before, you know, sarcastic words can be hurtful. I think James is being a little bit sarcastic here when he's talking about perf- people being perfect, because no one's perfect. And he's acknowledging that. He's saying, we all stumble, we all stumble in many ways. Think about stumbling. There's a good, important choice of words. It doesn't mean we all intentionally harm people with the words we use. But we all at times have said or done something that doesn't reflect the faith we say we have. Now, James is very much a letter written to people who already believe and follow Jesus. But There's also great insight for us, for those of us who maybe don't believe. Maybe we're not at that stage of our life yet. Maybe we're not sure what we believe. There's still great principles on how we should be speaking and acting in regard to other people in our life. But James says all of us sometimes say something we wish we didn't. I know I am very guilty of that. In fact, I just did it yesterday. I was at a funeral. And if you've ever been to a funeral, funerals are not like happy-go-lucky times. I don't know if you know that. Usually. This one definitely wasn't. And I, I came up to someone quite cheerfully because I haven't seen them in a while. I said, hey, it's great to see you. How are you? And I realized just as I said that, that was not the tone to be using or the words as somebody is grieving. And I just kind of was like, oh, my foot in my mouth. Probably wasn't the best time. We've all done stuff like that. We've all, maybe not all, maybe we've said something to someone and thought, man, I wish I could get that back. I wish I could change that. That's what James is saying. We all stumble. We've all done something. We've all said something we probably shouldn't have. And That's why he says, you should be cautious about being somebody who is a teacher because a teacher will be judged more strictly because everything they say is internalized to be taught elsewhere. A teacher's role is to teach someone not so that they just hear themselves talking but somebody can walk away and then practice based on what's been taught. So a teacher needs to be cautious about what they say because their words get put into practice. He continues, he says, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder whenever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Now, those are really, really strong words James is using to talk about our tongue. He's saying, like, our tongue symbolizing the way we speak has a lot of power. It has so much power that it can burn people down. And I'm sure we can relate to that. Whether we felt burnt or we did the burning, we can relate to that. I know that when I, I'm telling you secrets about me, I shouldn't. When I am not in a healthy place, when I am overstressed, when I am frustrated, when I'm angry, when I'm not spending time with God, when I'm not praying, my words can really hurt people. Because I can be really sharp, really direct, and not a lot of people can handle it. And that's like my shadow side. That's my—that's the bad Rob. We call him Bob. <laughs> but when I'm in a place of health, which I would like to say is more often, much more often, when I'm spending time with Jesus, when I'm praying, when I'm reading Scripture, when I'm doing healthy things for my life and not allowing the stresses to get to me, my words can be an encouragement. My words can build people up. My words can help people to make better choices. Your words have the same power. Your words, when you speak to that cashier who's going really slow, and your only comment is, what is taking so long, can have a really not-so-positive effect on someone's day. Or your words to your kids, when you tell them, hey, you can, you can be anything. And they start to believe it, and then they do something like, no, you can't be that. That really carries. Probably a lot of us could talk about the words our families have used in our lives and how they've affected us. James says, our words, the words we speak, can either bring life or death. And our words are hard to control, they're like a spark. They cause a fire. And if the words aren't good words, that fire is destructive and destroys. It says all kinds of animals... Oh, I read that. Never mind. No, I didn't read that. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed, and they have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a relentless evil full of deadly poison. You can't fully tame your words. Just as he says at the beginning, we all stumble sometimes. We all stumble sometimes. Sometimes we get stressed. Sometimes somebody says something to us and our first reaction is quite negative. We all stumble, but we don't all have to sin. And there's a significant difference. To stumble is to make a mistake. And so in Scripture, the word that gets used for stumbling, let's say, like making a mistake, would be a trespass. You do something, you know, you say something, you act in a certain way, and you did not intend to. It wasn't intentional. But when you sin, there's intention backing it up, saying, I know what I can do with my words. I know I can hurt this person. I know I can manipulate this person. I know I can get what I want. We all stumble. We all say something at times, and we regret it. And we can't go back and change it. We can just go forward and apologize and do better. But we don't all have to let our words control us and intentionally hurt people. We don't have to sin. We might not be able to tame our tongue, but we can control it. We can control how we act and how we react. We all stumble, but we don't all have to sin. He says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives? Or a grape vine bear figs. Neither can the salt spring produce fresh water. He's using these images and he's describing how if something is something, it should produce that something. Correct? If a fig tree is a fig tree, it should produce figs. If an olive branch is an olive branch, there should be olives on it, or at least olive leaves. Who you are should be demonstrated in your words and your actions, is what he's saying. He's using very common Hellenistic, so like his side of the world, kind of Greek teaching of metaphors of saying, this is what it means. If you say you follow Jesus, your words should reflect it. If you say you are a person who believes That people are made in the image of God, which is a key thing about following Jesus. Like, it's it's not something you can just say, nah, maybe I don't believe in that. That's a key core teaching. If you say people are made in the image of God, meaning God loves people, the words you use about them are either words that are cursing God or praising God. When you choose to speak of some people, maybe they're people you disagree with, maybe they're people from a cultural background you don't like, maybe they're people that you feel are the enemy, and you choose to speak of them and curse them, you are cursing God. That is James' teaching. Your words are powerful. All people are made in the image of God. And because all people are made in this image, and we understand that we are all made in God's image, we should reflect how we speak to them in the same way. I remember years ago, this is when I lived in Montreal, which is like a cursed place in general, I'm sorry. But I remember going to a grocery store with a friend, and I don't even remember the whole context, but this, this friend, he was really grumpy that day. And there was a person in front of him who was just, well, he was kind of belligerent. He probably had been drinking already. It was pretty early in the day, maybe 1 or 2 o'clock, and he was just saying dumb stuff, this guy. We didn't know this person. But he was just saying things, and they weren't very kind things, especially kind things to a person who was of English speaking, and they were French speaking. And I can remember my friend saying to him, go to hell. And for whatever reason, I finally understood how significant it was to say something like that. I finally understood that when you say that to someone, you're saying something really strong. And maybe they don't believe what you believe in, but if you believe that there's a point in eternity where you will be separated from God, whatever that looks like, and we call it hell, and you say that to someone, like you wish that on someone, that is not seeing them as someone made in the image of God. When you say things to people, and you might think it's nothing, it has deep, profound impact. You can remember when people have said things to you that had deep, profound impact, good or bad. But you have the option to choose how your words will impact other people by choosing to either reflect God's grace or to reflect your own rude, mean character. If you are someone James is saying. If you are someone who is someone who says, I follow Jesus, therefore I follow Jesus. I am working in concert. I'm working alongside the Holy Spirit in my life. I believe that God is working in me and he is producing, as Andre talked about a few weeks ago, the fruit of the Spirit in our life. As God is doing this work, when you are choosing to remain close to him, and he is doing this work. Your words should reflect it. The fruit of the Spirit is God's character, and our character should be reflected similar to God's in the words we choose. So the question has to be, or maybe it doesn't have to be, but the question I have for you is, do your words match God's character? Are the words you choose to use, similar to that song we just sang about speaking Jesus, words that bring life to people, words that encourage people, words that try to bring the best out of someone when they feel like there's nothing good in them? What words do you choose? What words reflect God's character? We sometimes talk about, and rightfully so, about swear words or using the Lord's name in vain. One of the ways we use the Lord's name in vain is when we destroy people who are made in God's image with our words. When we choose words that hurt intentionally, when we choose words that bring people down instead of rising them up, raising them up, we are, in effect, choosing to say, God loves me more than you. You are not made in God's image. Or, in fact, I'm not worshiping God because my words don't reflect it. Do your words reflect God's character? And what if they don't? What do you do? How are you going to change? Well, here's, here's the good news is the more you try to do it by yourself, it's not going to work. So if you're just going to say, hey, I'm going to give myself like a swear jar or a mean word jar, and I'll put in like a loony every time, that might work for a little while, but just like many New Year's resolutions like Jacob hinted to, that'll fail. Because in your own strength, you cannot do this. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can. So how do you let the Holy Spirit have power in your life? you follow Jesus, you read his words, you spend time in scripture, you pray, you meditate, you make that a priority, and allow God by surrendering yourself to say, God, help me not to do this. To ask God for help is one of the most important things we can do, but if we just ask God for help and are unwilling to take the actions associated with it, if we are unwilling to actually surrender ourselves to God, then we are asking in vain. Are you willing to surrender yourself to God? To say, Jesus, help me be who you see me as and allow him through the work of the Holy Spirit to make a difference so that your words bring life and not destruction. So that your words are not a fire that destroys, but a fire that can spread and bring hope in people's lives. Your words have power, and it's up to you to choose which form of power they have. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, God can use your words to bring life and bring change. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are a God who uh, acknowledges us as who we are right now, a God who, who sees us for who we see ourselves as, but also sees us as so much more, that in Jesus you provide opportunity for new life to be experienced, and in new life you invite us to reflect you to the world around us that in new life you invite us to choose our words and our actions to reflect you and not just our sinful nature. God, you know, as James says, we stumble. We sometimes do things without thinking. We sometimes make choices that bring more harm than we intended. And I thank you for your grace that we don't have to let those stumblings, those mistakes, define us no matter how small or how big they are. That in your grace, we can define ourselves as people who are made in your image. As the Apostle Paul said, that we are uh, your masterpiece, God, made anew in Christ Jesus. And that you've made us for good works that you've prepared for us. We just have to make that choice to embrace it and walk daily in light of that. I pray for us, those of us who maybe feel a lot of pain for the words that have been used against us. Maybe we hold on to ideas about ourselves, ideas about who we are, based on what other people have said and not what you tell us. And maybe those words have carried pain for a long time, Lord, and we need healing. We need healing from the words maybe our teachers, our parents, people at school, people at work just random people we never met, relationships we've had, our spouses. We need healing from words that harm. And we need to seek your forgiveness for when we've used words to harm. Help us to turn away from any harm we've done and will do with our words. God, I thank you that your word can tell us who we are. In your word, we can find life. That Jesus, he said, you came to give us life in all of its fullness. And when we choose to follow you, and we choose to allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives, to work in concert with who you define us as, we can experience that life in its fullness, and a life that is reflected in the words we use. That as Jesus, you said, out of the overflow of our hearts, our mouth speaks. I pray we become people whose mouth speaks life and hope to everyone we meet. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.